Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. The topic for tonight is the courage of compassion. I've played in punk rock bands my whole life, still do, love it, big part of my life. At one point, this band I'm in, we were doing pretty well, we were playing a lot, and we did a couple shows with New York hardcore legends Agnostic Front. Anybody know Agnostic Front in here? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Agnostic Front, we're, uh, they're, yeah, New York hardcore from like the old school New York, like tough guy stuff. And the crowd they bring is uh, a wild bunch. In this one night, the first night we were playing with them, there was three bands, and we were the opening band, playing for this rowdy group of people. And we get on stage, and we're playing. Instantly, like, a fight breaks out. So we stop our song, and then we give them this, like, oh, come on, don't do that, we're all family here, keep it together, scene unity, take care of one another. And then, okay, we play. And then a fight breaks out again. And same thing, you know, be, you know, be cool with each other. We're in this together. Scene unity, you know, like trying to be like a cheerleader, like to them. And, you know, throughout the night, like, as I said, things like that happened. Until the second band got on stage. There's this band called the Mongoloids. And... Their singer is quite an intense guy. Really can hold a room. And their set starts, and of course, a fight breaks out. And what he does, he goes to the front of the stage, looks directly where the fight is, goes straight to the fight, and just says, yes, yes, get mad, get mad, yes, fight, yes. And just with this pure intensity and really this like courage and strength goes right at him. Yes. Yes. That was the last fight. The fight stopped. There was no more fights the rest of the night. And I'm like, whoa, that's really awesome. Where I'm like, come on, be nice. Be kind. Peace and love. Peace and love. Where he's like, yes, fight. Yes, get mad. Yes. With this intensity. And I think that's like something so profound because how many fights do we have inside of ourselves that we're like, come on, don't get into a fight? How many agitated mind states that we're like, oh, you know, don't do that mind. We're supposed to be kind and happy. When we can see any sort of fights happening in our mind, that hatred arises in our mind, maybe the most skillful thing to do is say yes, yes. Because this, on this topic, the courage of compassion, that it takes that singer a good amount of courage to go up to those people fighting and say, yes. And not that I'm asking anybody to do that externally. Please don't go into fights and say, yes, fight, you know, you might get hurt. But this internal battles that we have in our, our inside of our hearts may actually calm down when we just approach them with that welcoming, 
So this word compassion, the Pali word karuna we use, is the heart's response to pain. It's a quivering of the heart in response to pain. It's that movement towards, it's had that courage to be kind, direct, and honest with pain. And it's quite beautiful. While we have our own nature as a human to hate pain, quite natural. The counter-instinctual thing, though, to go right at it and meet it with some sort of acknowledgement, validation, and, and kindness. So when I just saw this, like, whoa, this guy, yes, yes, yes. And I'm starting, you know, put that Dharma lens on anything. That is like, maybe this is how I should be working with myself. I had a friend around that time. He uh, knew in recovery. I was a few years into my recovery. He was new in recovery, and he called me up. And this friend of mine, very close friend, we played in bands together for many years. He was like 17 when he started playing in bands with me. And I was like in my 20s. I actually had his mom have to write notes because I was taking him across state lines and stuff and be like, see, I'm not stealing your kid. But so he like grew up around me and, and he wanted to get clean. So he called me up and was like, hey, uh, could you be my sponsor? I'm going to meetings and and I think we should, you know, connect again and all of that. And I don't work a 12-step program. The, the Dharma is my main form of recovery. And I told him that. I was like, hey, man, I, I'll go to meetings with you. I go to meetings occasionally. I'll go to meetings with you. But uh, I, don't, I don't do 12 steps. So, how, you know, come to my Sangha. Come to my Buddhist community. Like, we'll, we'll sit together. And he was like, oh, you know, like, you Buddhists get up too early, you wake up, you meditate. And uh, he's like, I'm still playing in bands and stuff. I can't get up that early. And I was like, all right, man, well, you know, the offer stands. Call me up, we'll go hit up a meeting. And if you want to start meditating with me, that's cool. And that, that, that was the, the end of the conversation. And then a few, few months later, somebody called me. It's like... He died from suicide. And the confusion I had around this, that it was so much guilt. What if I said, yeah, I'll be your sponsor. Yeah, we'll, I'll figure it out as we go. What, what if I, I was there for him more often? What if I called him up and was like, hey, let's go to a meeting? What if I went to his house and woke him up and said, hey, we're coming to meditate? What if, what if, what if, what if? And all of these thoughts of what if just, just had me in so much regret. And it was time for yes, yes, yes. Yes, I have regret. Yes, I have guilt. Yes, I have confusion. And ultimately, the one I didn't want to get to was yes, my friend was gone. And even now, just feeling, just saying that, yes, my friend is gone. It's been seven years, seven years. It's still, it's there. Yes, yes to that feeling that's there. And having that courage to just sit with that, yes, yes, yes. Be 
Because these things, while I talk about my own personal experience around loss, death, confusion, guilt, remorse, I bet y'all have your own stories too. And this is, a, this is a beautiful thing about compassion, about pain. It's what connects us. While we can come to a Buddhist meditation center and talk about awakening and blissfulness and freedom from suffering, that's only so many people know what that is. But all humans know pain, all humans know loss, all humans know separation. And we can get into a room and welcome that in and know that deep down in our hearts, everybody experiences this. Every human walking out there experiences this. So not only is this a difficult and painful, it's a beautiful thing too, because of what brings us together. And there's a traditional Buddhist story that hopefully I can tell properly. It's the story of... Uh, uh, Kasi Gotami and the mustard seed. And so she had a child. And then, uh, so her newborn, that she was so happy to have, she loved her newborn. Uh, this newborn died. And she had this baby that was dead. And she couldn't understand that. She lost her wits and was holding her dead baby. And people would say, sorry, but your, your baby is dead. You need to have a funeral. You need to bury your child. You need, to, you need to move on. And she just couldn't. She was just walking around. Who can help my baby? Who can help my baby? Who can help my baby? And then somebody said, oh, well, the Buddha is a very holy man. He may be able to help you. He may be able to bring your child back to life. And so she goes to the Buddha with her dead child, holding her child, goes to the Buddha and says, I hear you're a very holy man. I hear you can perform miracles. And you're, 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 can you bring my child back to life? And he said, well, what I can do for you is if you can collect a handful of mustard seeds from a home that has not experienced death, I'll see what I can do. So what she did, she went door to door, knocked on the door. Have you experienced death in this house? And I said, oh, yeah, 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 my, my father died. And we were, we were really distraught about my father's death. It, it, was a, it was a tough situation. And she goes, okay. And she goes to the next house. Have you experienced death? Oh, yeah, my brother died. And it was awful. And, you know, this is how we get by the next house. Have you experienced death? Oh, yes. Yeah, multiple deaths. A lot of people in my family have died. And, and what she discovered was that all people experience death. And this is quite natural that her child has passed, just like anybody else in this world has experienced this. And I'm not saying this as a deflating, dismissive thing. Oh, get over it. All people die. All people experience sorrow. But in this story that she went door to door, connecting with other people that have experienced sorrow. And that's such a beautiful thing. 
And so in the story, she yeah, eventually was like, okay, I get it, Buddha. I get your trick here to be compassionate and open and talk about my pain, thank you. And she uh, buried her child after that. So with this compassion, we want to have wisdom and understanding that life has these natural things to it. And then we also want to have the heart that cracks open to these truths. And like I said, that the Buddha started with this sorrow because it's something that connects us. The, the first noble truth, the first thing he started with was dukkha. Dukkha is this nature of life that has this unsatisfactory quality to it. That birth is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha, sorrow is dukkha, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair are dukkha. Associated with what is not dear is dukkha. Separation from what is dear is dukkha. Not getting what you want is dukkha. These, these are the natural things that will happen in life. Yes, 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 yes. These things will happen in life. And so how we meet this natural suffering in life, natural despair and unsatisfactory in life is key to whether we're suffering or not. Not the actual loss of my friend. It's how I meet that. And so what we want to do is crack the heart open to this truth. And then there's the analogy of the heart. It can break one or two ways. It can break closed and we can bury it down. We can shut it down. We can drink it down and use it down and, and bury that until it's in this kind of cellar bubbling up in us and it takes over our bodies and takes over our minds and we lose our own volition. Or the heart can crack open. And that when we crack the heart open, something very beautiful happens that we have space to live with this otherwise bad news. And when the heart cracks open, something happens with people. I used to hate it when people said, oh, you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself. What's RuPaul say? RuPaul has a quote. What's that quote? The, somebody's got to know it, right? Something about like... If you don't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? I hate that, but it's, it, but it's 100% true, 100% true, that humans are, are co-regulators, that we get into a room, and this is how we work with life. Just like other animals can fly and hunt and dig holes, humans come together, and it's a very beautiful thing when we come together. So we have something called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons, you know, like, if I start crying up here, you're probably going to end up crying because emotions are contagious. If I start yelling, you might get excited and feel something because emotions are contagious. And we have these mirror neurons that, that, that bond us on this almost magical level, like a deep down level. It's the, the quality that has you finishing each other's sentences. You ever get into those locked in with a good friend? It's because your mirror neurons are locked in. Um, I do a lot of one-to-one -one work with people, and I'll be sitting a certain way, and I look over, and they're sitting that way. They'll go like this, and I find myself, why am I holding my chin? You know, oh, it's because we're literally mirroring each other, because we're locked in on that. And so when somebody's sharing something, like saying a friend died, or 
or maybe something lighter, okay, uh, somebody broke up with, with their significant other. And that, that, that loss, confusion, embarrassment, whatever comes along with that, you go, oh yeah, I'm feeling really fucked up, you know, she dumped me, I feel terrible. A lot of times, if you're not available to feel the fucked up, feel the, the embarrassment and loss, the heartbreak of, a, of being broken up with, you'll say, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Or you'll say, uh, oh, it's okay, you just gotta get back out there. And it just like totally dismisses the emotion because I don't know if you've been there before, but it sucks when you're emotionally vulnerable and somebody tries to fix it as if it's a problem. With all due respect, it's probably because they're not emotionally available. So it, that's how you can literally not love somebody else unless you love yourself. Because what happens is, if I'm sharing a story about my friend dying, that feeling arises in you. If I'm sharing a story about a breakup, that feeling arises in you. If you can't feel with that feeling, if you don't have compassion for that feeling that is shared, oh, well, the plain efficiency. You're, you're fixing it away. And so therefore you're dismissing the other person's um, experience. And of course in life that we need uh, good advice and all that. I'm not saying all advice is bad. But when it's in an emotional space, maybe we should hold the emotions first and foremost. So this is the idea that our own practice is an offering to all beings everywhere. So when we do compassion meditation, know that it has a ripple effect on the people around us. If we are able to hold space for whatever heartache we have, it will naturally be uh, an offering to make us a better friend for somebody else. To be able to feel with, just because I'm able to feel with myself. And so I wanna move into that's my sales pitch for self-compassion, right? Sold, right? Okay. I want to move into this compassion for ourselves, for our emotions, for our feelings, for our pain, for our sorrow, into a very uh, famous, popular practice in compassion meditation, which is RAIN meditation. Anybody practice RAIN meditation before? Yeah. yeah. So RAIN is an acronym. This RAIN meditation was brought up by a teacher called, what's her name? Michelle McDonald. Michelle McDonald came up with it, but you know Tara Brock is like the rock star of RAIN meditation that she's adapted and wrote like 25 books about it. So this acronym stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. So at first, when we're in meditation, or even when we're not in meditation, falling into this recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. Just taking a pause and recognize, what am I feeling right now? Recognizing. Because some of these can go under the surface and we don't even recognize it. And then it's like, stop, what are you feeling? Recognize what you're feeling right now. And that beautiful thing about recognizing, even in emotions, that we add this Buddhist flavor to it, to the impersonal nature of emotions. You are not your emotions. But that isn't the same thing as emotions aren't real. 
So it's, we're not self-identifying with our emotions, but we're not ignoring our emotions. We're labeling and recognizing emotions. That is sadness. That is grief. That is happiness. And it makes it really impersonal. Normally we think, I am my sadness. And it gets really uh, heavy, you know, really disparaging, really pitiful or we can self-loathing. But this is recognized. This is sadness. Recognizing sadness. And then allowing. This is where the mongoloid singer comes in. Allowing. Yes. 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 Yes to sadness. Yes to grief. Yes to loss. Sorrow, lamentation, despair. Yes. Having that willingness to be with. Allowing it. And then we move on to investigation. Once we get past the barrier of protecting the heart and just undefend the heart and allow it to be here, investigate it. Have you all ever sat with an emotion and go, what is this? What is an emotion? They call them feelings for a reason. You know, you feel the feelings. Sadness. I've spent some time sitting with sadness. Like it's in the throat a lot. A lot of times in that throat, that choked up feeling, right? It's like, ooh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Investigating sadness. Sometimes it'll have a heaviness. Sometimes a tingling. You know, like nerves, like a nervousness. That would be nerves in my belly, restlessness in my belly, angers in my arms, you know? So it's like, investigate your emotions. Like, what is an emotion? A lot of it's in the body. Sometimes our minds will go off into whys. But what I find is sometimes we got to just step aside on the why. Why am I sad? Oh, I can tell you why I'm sad. It's because of this and because of this and because of this and because of this. And now we're, we're stressing out about our sadness because we want to know why so we can fix it. But what is sadness? What is sadness? Is, is uh, really insightful and awesome. And then we get to the last end. The last end, uh, a couple of different teachers teach this end in a different way, but I like nurture. Nurture. Because in the Metta Sutta, the teaching on loving kindness, the Buddha said, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart shall I cherish all living beings. And so when we're doing loving kindness or compassion towards ourselves, it's almost like we're becoming the mother towards ourselves. And while mother can be very triggering sometimes to some people, I'm not necessarily talking about your mother. I'm talking about an ideal mother. Like, how can you be the perfect mother to yourself? How can you be the perfect nurturing being towards yourself? As sadness arises and you investigate it and feel it, okay, right here, how, how can I hold this sadness in, in such a caring, nurturing way? Do I need to say something to it? I care about you. I'm here for you. I'll, I'll love you no matter what. Is it a feeling? Do I need to soften the body and nurture in a held type of body way? You know, how, and then we, we start to explore in this, almost like this contemplation of nurture. Like what's the most loving thing I can do in this moment? And so that's the beauty of this RAIN practice. Recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. 
And we'll go through this practice. And what I want you to do, I want you to be wise about this. That sometimes when we feel like compassion, it's like, I'm going to heal this pain. And then it'll be gone. You know? And healing is this subtle, subtle aversion. That I'm going, to, I'm going to process my emotions, then I'll be good to go. And that's like a subtle form of pushing out. What that just radical acceptance. Yes, 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 yes. And I can find a sense of well-being with my, my emotions, with my sadness, with whatever we're experiencing. And we want to do this in a, a skillful way. There's something called the window of tolerance. So this window of tolerance is our tolerance for pain, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain. And we want to stay within this window of tolerance. Because if we go outside of our own window of tolerance, we're going to end up in despair and anxiety and hypervigilance, or we'll go the other way into shutdown, fuckets, and depression. So we want to stay within this window of tolerance and kind of stretch it a little bit. You know, where is your heart ache today? Well, it's aching over, oh, the deepest trauma in my life. We'll probably not go there first. Like I say, this is kind of like lifting weights. You're not going to deadlift 500 pounds today. Just lift something that you feel like is going to exercise that muscle of compassion. And then, you know, push this window of tolerance more and more so you can be with the, the, the uh, most terrible sorrow in your life. It's starting small and building up. Any questions before we get started? All right. Well, peace and love. Let's, uh, let's find ourselves in a, in a supportive posture. In, in compassion meditation, it, we don't have to be so spiritual about the way we sit. Just finding a way to sit that seems kind and comfortable, but also has a, a sense of energy about it. We don't want to be dozing off. Just doing what you need to do to adjust this posture. And if it's comfortable for you, allowing the eyes to close. If not, just having a soft gaze in front of you. And just breathing into the spaciousness. Just starting with some deep in and out breaths. In through the nose and out through the mouth. Just these long, soothing exhalations. These easeful exhalations. Just softening this body, spending time with this body. Softening the brow and the eyes and the jaw. Allowing the shoulders to fall. And feeling into the chest and the heart. Softening the belly. Just with these deep in and out breaths, embodying this experience with an attitude of gentleness with this body. 
just over time allowing the breath to breathe itself, allowing the breath to go into its natural pace and natural rhythm. Just breathing into the vast spaciousness around us with all the sounds and the smells and the air. Resting in the internal experience by taking your awareness and placing it on the chest, on the heart. Maybe even breathing in and out from your own heart. And just softening any barriers held around the heart. Letting the defenses crumble as we breathe with this intention of compassion, of kindness, and nurturing quality towards pain. Feels suitable, maybe even putting your hands on your heart to have a sense of warmth, a sense of touch, a sense of holding and being held. start this process of rain starting with our recognizing so just recognizing what is calling to be felt right now where does this heart ache right now where is the loss the pain the struggle the sorrow that's natural in life part of you is difficult to love right now. Just recognizing that. Just recognizing this difficulty. There it is. Whether it's an emotion, whether it's a situation, whether it's mental, emotional, or physical, just recognize this difficulty. This could be something as just an argument. 
feeling you've been having around for a while. It could be a breakup, it could be a death. Just recognize whatever's calling to be felt. Recognize this is calling for my love and affection. Just knowing it's longing for your love as we allow it to be here. Nothing to fix about it, nothing to control about it, nothing to change about it. Having this courage to just say yes to it. Yes, there is this pain. Yes, there is this difficulty. Yes, this situation happened. Yes. into yes, yes, as we crack the heart open, just meeting this with open arms, yes, welcome, come on in, you can be here too, pain. Exiling parts of ourselves, just welcoming the fullness of our experience by welcoming this pain with yes, yes, yes.
So as we welcome this pain with open arms and an open heart, allowing it in through the door, welcoming it rather than hating it, as it enters, investigating it, what's happening right now in this body, in this heart, and in the mind? Where is this difficult situation? Where is this pain? Where is this loss, grief, sorrow? Where is it most easily felt in the body? Just feeling it from the neck down. Where does this live? sensations. Is there any pressure? Any tingling? Any tightening? And where's the center of it? edges. As we welcome in this difficulty, feeling it in the body, exploring, what is this? What is this pain directly? thoughts connected to it, knowing those two, investigating thoughts, what's that? And just seeing how this body fires off impulses and clusters of activity in this body, in this heart, and in this mind. As we move on to the holding of compassion, as we nurture, recognizing, allowing, investigating, and now nurturing, as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, and we nurture this pain really just collapsing into this body, collapsing into this truth of this pain, and just having this be held with a sweetness of compassion. Maybe even bringing in phrases of, I care about you. I'm here for you. I'll love you no matter what. 
What does this pain need right now? What's the deepest form of love that you can show this pain right now? And just providing that for yourself. as simple as silently saying I forgive you or I'm here for you I feel you or you can even physically show yourself some affection right now hugging yourself holding yourself just nurturing yourself in whatever way you need right now. Not holding back. What do you really need right now? And just going for it. and the meditation.